0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. This is Jeremy, the Tech Director at Central Christian Church And I just wanted to give you all a heads up that this week's message is split up into three different messages. So you'll hear three different audio segments from three of our pastors. Enjoy.
1: What's up? Happy Palm Sunday weekend, everybody. This is the weekend many of you know that we celebrate Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday being a day taken from the Gospels where an entire city through an impromptu parade for Jesus. And I find it kind of interesting. It hit me as I was studying this. You know, the days that we celebrate in our Christian faith, you know, days like Christmas and Resurrection Weekend and Good Friday. uh, You know, those days wasn't happening during Jesus' day. Do y'all realize that? I mean, think about it. Uh, Good Friday and the Resurrection hadn't happened yet because Jesus uh, hadn't been persecuted, crucified, and he hadn't risen uh, to life on a third day yet. Uh, Christmas, other than the day that he was actually born, um, uh, that wasn't being celebrated globally because only a handful of people at that time had really embraced Jesus, uh, as the savior of the entire world. So universally, there was no Christmas being celebrated. And even as I say that, I can, I can see the kids right now like, no Christmas! Oh my God! No! right? And Palm Sunday, as we know it, literally biblically was happening in real time. Now, what we do know what was going on during this time in Bible history. It was significant then, and it's even significant today to our Jewish brothers and sisters is the Passover. Dave talked about it last week. The Passover, everybody, was a super significant celebration in the life of all of those who followed the one true God. And the Passover was what was actually happening right here in Matthew 21 as Jesus was making his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And one thing I add to what Dave talked about last week and was teaching on the Passover is that the Jewish people, wherever they found themselves all over the region or all over the world, when Passover came, they would all journey back to the city of Jerusalem for this significant holiday. And so I want you to picture the city of Jerusalem jam packed with people coming in from all over the region and literally all over the world and here comes Jesus cruising down the street on his donkey. Coming back at the same time and and and, and as the people spot and identify Jesus, many of whom I would imagine probably uh particularly from the region experienced Uh, his miracles and his signs and his wonders, uh, many of whom probably had an opportunity to hear his preaching and his teaching. And, and, And I can imagine people coming from out of the region by this time had probably heard the legends of Jesus' miraculous feats and antics and maybe was a little starstruck as the people began to go crazy throwing down their cloaks and their palm branches as Jesus rolls into town and literally a party, a celebration breaks out on the streets of the city celebrating Jesus's arrival. It was an amazing time. But the day is also bittersweet because even though the celebration is happening on Sunday, we know that Friday is coming. For the same people who are hailing Jesus as Messiah on Sunday, were the same ones who are hurling insults at him on Friday. The same people who were lifting praises to Jesus on Sunday were the same people who were laughing at Jesus' persecution and crucifixion on Friday. And what's interesting to me is the people who were hurling the insults and laughing at Jesus. The people who were patting him on the on, on on the back one day and literally turning their back on him the next. Everybody, it wasn't the city folks. It was the church folks. And, and as that reality smacks us in the face this weekend, uh, I want to challenge us with this idea of what does it look like for us, those of us who maybe we're tuning in for the first time in a long time. Or maybe this is your very first time uh, tuning in and hearing anything about Jesus. Or maybe you've been hanging out with Jesus for some time. And and maybe all of us, we got this curiosity about what it looks like to connect uh, with this person of Jesus Christ. Uh, how can we be certain that our connection with him is sure and secure? I wanted to give you three keys as my teammates and I tag team on this teaching, uh, three keys to having committed faith. Number one, everybody, committed faith is Christ-centered not self-centered for my note takers. Committed faith is Christ-centered, not self-centered. Let's go to Matthew 21. Verse 7 says, they brought the donkey and the coat and placed their cloaks on him for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Somebody say Hosanna. Awesome. Now let's go to uh, Matthew 27. Uh, Verse 15 says, now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he, Pilate, knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests and the elders had already persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. So which one of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What should I do then with this Jesus who was called the Messiah? Pilate answered. They all answered, crucify him. Because the true committed faith is a Christ centered faith and not self Center. Let's go back to Matthew 21 for a minute. Somebody say Hosanna one more time. Alright, And when, when you initially hear that word, everybody, what comes to your mind when you hear Hosanna? Like, for me, it kind of sounds like a cheer, right? Hosanna! All right? I'm a football guy, so I, you know, I think about, you know, Hosanna! <laughs> Hosanna, go guy! <God>. Hosanna! <laughs> you know, that's what I think about. But, you know, that word Hosanna, uh, is a word that's taken from the, uh, uh, Aramic and Hebrew. That word Hosanna, everybody, literally means to save. That word Hosanna, everybody, uh, literally is a cry for help. So you need to understand, everybody, that when the people were crying out Hosanna to Jesus, this wasn't just a praise. This was also a plea. This was the people literally saying, Jesus, I beg you to deliver us. Jesus, please save us. Let me give you a picture of this. Uh, you can see my family here. This is my family. For those of you who don't know me very well, my beautiful wife, Michelle, our four children, my son, Marae, our girls, Jamari, Janae and Ramaya. I want to draw your attention to my youngest two, uh, Janae, who is now 18, uh, my youngest, Ramaya, who's 13, uh, picture them uh, at six and 11. Uh, I remember I was coming home one day and um, as I walked through the door, I think my youngest recognized that it was me coming home and I hear this faint voice saying, Daddy, Daddy, help me. I walk into the family room and my 11-year-old, who was smaller but still pretty good-sized girl, uh, on my, as you can picture, already petite, much more petite six-year-old. And uh, I said, Janae. She just kind of turned around was sitting on my daughter like, yes. I said, what are you doing? She was like, we're playing. And uh, you know, uh, me and my children, uh, we're black. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a black person turn blue. Uh, but my daughter, my six-year-old baby was turning blue under the weight, uh, of my much bigger, heavier, eleven-year-old, and I said in the most respectfully, um, Christian, uh, voice I could muster, Girl, get off of your sister! I share that story because this picture is exactly the picture that was happening to our Jewish brothers and sisters, uh, in the day that Jesus uh, triumphantly entered into the city of Jerusalem. The people of uh, Jerusalem were under the weight of Roman rule. Their country was not their own to live in and govern freely. They were under Roman jurisdiction politically. They, they, they were under Romans, Rome's thumb financially. They were limited to what they could do socially. And so when Jesus comes along, the people had their own agenda of what they wanted Jesus to deliver them and save them from. They wanted to be rescued politically. They wanted to be delivered uh, financially. They wanted to be saved socially. And Jesus is looking at them like, listen, I get it, but there's a deeper need that you guys have. There is a deeper issue that you need to be saved from first. And I wonder if some of us church and religious people, sometimes we fall into that same bucket as those people. You know, that bucket of having our list of what we want Jesus to deliver us from. That feels like essential issues, but actually, in all actuality, uh, they're really just symptoms of a deeper issue that we have, and that's our spiritual salvation. And maybe, uh, just like with these people in the Bible, we sometimes run to Jesus with our pleas and our petitions, and, and we want him to move immediately on our behalf. And it may be our, 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 sound like this deliver Jesus from this financial strain, Lord, heal this physical sickness and this pain, Lord, save this marriage and this relationship that I'm fighting to maintain. And Jesus is, is saying in the background, Hey, Hey, listen, not that your request is bogus, but I can fix all of those external issues. But if I don't deal with the internal issue, that internal sin issue within you, things might temporarily get better, but eventually they'll get worse because there was never any change in behavior. There was never any transformation within your heart. And that's what happens when we're self-focused versus uh, Christ-focused. We're self-centered versus Christ-centered because everybody, when we're caught up and our own selfish plans, there's no way we will ever see the Savior's plan. Everybody, this Palm Sunday weekend, what would it look like for us uh, to trust uh, what Jesus is doing in our life, even if it doesn't match
2: up with our plans uh, and our ideas? Hey, everybody. Uh, for those who maybe don't know me, my name is Kellen Anderson. I'm the campus pastor at our Janesville campus of Central Christian Church. And I just want to get started by kind of sharing a, something that drives me crazy. Uh, see, I'm from a small town. And in small towns, we greet each other. Like you're walking by somebody on the sidewalk or you're going for a run on a trail and you run by them. You look at each other and you, you say hi. You know, I, Even just one of these like, little, little head nods. That's all it needs to be. Um, and so I expect that when I, when I see that. Uh, well, when I went to college in Minneapolis big city for me, okay, and when I went there, man, I just started to see people like, why are you guys all rude? I'd be walking through the city to get to my job, and I'd be walking by people, and nobody, nobody would even make eye contact. Drove me crazy, and sometimes I get so annoyed with it that I'd, I'd just look at people for the longest time. They wouldn't give me eye contact, and I'd just be like, hey, how you doing? And they'd look around like, who spoke? People don't speak to us on the sidewalk here. Um, But I I really, I would would just stare people down until finally once in a while somebody would, their eyes would come up and look at me and be like, hey, how you doing? And people thought I was crazy. Now, I'm a little crazy. I'll be the first to say. But I actually, I started to get entertainment value out of it. Just watching people's reaction. Um, You know, we expect certain things out of people. Small town people, for the most part, we expect you to say hi to to other people. Maybe it's because we knew everybody in the town that we were growing up in. Um, People in the big city, I I think they expect to be able to ignore other people. Uh, But we have expectations of people. And when it comes to Jesus, we have expectations of Him. and, And we have to be careful, I think, of what we are expecting out of Jesus. We have to be expecting something that's relational, not just transactional. And what exactly do I mean by transactional? I mean, it's this type of thing in a relationship where there is this transaction. You're walking by somebody on the sidewalk and they look up at you and you do this, you know I'm supposed supposed to do that too. Or if they ignore you, oh, I can ignore them too. Not a big deal. That's a a transactional thing. Um, We give something and we receive something back. And ultimately in Jesus' day, this was, I think, really the problem that the Jewish people had with Jesus. They expected Jesus to be something that that it wasn't exactly what he was going to be. They wanted him to be this political king and we see it uh, on, the, on the day of Palm Sunday when Jesus comes riding into the city of Jerusalem. It says in Matthew 21, verse eight, as, as he's riding into the city, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. You see, what they were doing is they were giving Jesus the treatment of a king. They, like, they thought he was gonna be this king who was gonna sit on this literal throne In their world. But Jesus actually was, he was trying to kind of tame down their expectation. I mean, he was gonna be a king, but not the kind of king that they were thinking. He rode in on a donkey. If he was gonna be this political king, this this revolutionary king, he would have ridden in on a militant steed, some awesome, big, beautiful horse, something like that. But he's trying to show them something else. And this preconceived idea that they had about Jesus, it was dangerous. When Jesus, by the end of the week, when they realized that that that's not the kind of king Jesus was going to be, they turned on him completely. Uh, This guy named Pilate starts asking the crowd what he should do with this guy named Jesus. And it says in Matthew 27, verse 22, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered him. Every single one of them answered him. Crucify him. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, I should say, was going to come to bring political peace. They believed he was going to take his throne in Israel. And when that didn't happen, man, they lost all hope that Jesus could be the Messiah. They began to doubt because he didn't give them this transactional thing. I will do this for you. And they lost all hope. Jesus wasn't the Jesus that the people who laid down those palm branches were expecting. Is Jesus the kind of Jesus that you have always been expecting? Has your faith been lacking in some ways because Jesus just hasn't done what you thought he would do in your life? You see, we need to remember that the best relationships, they are relational. They're not transactional. Uh, They're not about this formula that says, if I do this... you'll you'll do this, or if you do this, I'm going to do this for you. You know, a real relationship says, I will do for you whatever it's going to take. Whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do it. A real relationship says, even if you haven't done everything that I would want you to do for me, I'm still going to do right by you. See, I think Jesus could care less about the transactional side of things. He doesn't need you and me to do certain things to make him want to (laughs) want to do awesome things for us. The bottom line is, while we were the the worst of sinners, Jesus chose to die on a cross for us. Jesus died to save the people from their sins, those people who were laying those palm branches down. He died to save them from their sins. But he also died to save those who were yelling, crucify him, and who were spitting on him as he was carrying his cross on the road to Golgotha. Jesus died for each of those people the same. In fact, most of those people who were, who were laying those palm branches down, they were also the same ones who were yelling crucify him. That's so much like you and me. We got the good and the bad in, in all of us. Thank Jesus that he cares more about relationship with us than about a transaction with us. If it was just about a transaction, I could not do enough good in my life to make Jesus want to die on a cross for me. I don't have enough in me to make Jesus want to be friends with me. See, committed faith is a relational thing. It's not transactional. Committed faith is a relational thing, not transactional. What's that mean? It means that just like the Jews in Jesus' day, maybe my faith is tied too much sometimes to what Jesus is going to do in the political world. We've got a crisis going on in our world. There's a lot of people out there that are saying that, The crisis that we are in right now because of the corona crisis, it might be the biggest crisis the world has seen since World War II. We're in a crisis, you know? And the thing is, our world has been in crises before. Our world is going to have more crises after this. But our world is also going to get through this. I mean, we might come out of this beaten and damaged a little bit, but we're going to come through this. And I I also say this, I don't think it's going to take a political savior to get us there. If my faith is dependent on Jesus fixing the crisis in my life right now, whatever crisis that may be, then my relationship with him is transactional. In fact, that makes us no better than the people who were laying palm branches out before Jesus when he came into the city and then yelling crucify him later on. We've all got a little bit of that in us. The only thing that we truly need a savior for in this life is our sinful nature. Jesus chose because of his love for us to go to a cross and to die for us. It was about relationship with him. It was relationship that drew Jesus to you. It wasn't your goodness that draws Jesus to you. It wasn't, it's not your religious fervor that draws Jesus to you. In fact, I'll say this. I think it's it's in spite of our ungoodness that Jesus is drawn to us. It's in spite of religious fervor that Jesus, it was religious fervor that took Jesus to the cross. Those people who took him to the cross, it was because of religious fervor. And Jesus loves us in spite of that. He doesn't owe us anything. So today, I'm wondering though, if if we're a little guilty sometimes of feeling like God does owe us something, am I holding things back in my relationship with Jesus because I just feel like, Like, Jesus, where are you in all of this? You know, we are hurting. We have questions. Jesus, where are you? Jesus is not a prisoner to our expectations of him. A committed faith chooses to remember the incredible love that God has for us just because he has it for us. A committed faith continually remembers the good news of Jesus That he died on a cross for us even when we didn't deserve that kind of love. A committed faith sees the good news of Jesus and realizes that Jesus' love wins out even in the face of all the bad news around us. Today I'm wondering, do you need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus? We see plenty of bad news in our news feed and social media, on the news, whatever it is. We're being bombarded with it. Do you need to be reminded of Jesus's good news, what he's done for you today? So we're gonna take a break here for a minute. And Josh is gonna lead us in worship again. And I just wanna say, man, this Jesus who loves us without expecting anything in return from us, that Jesus is worthy of our worship. That Jesus deserves a committed faith from us, one that's relational, not transactional.
3: Hey there. My name is Corey Williams, and I'm the campus pastor of our church's McChesney Park location. Uh, I want to say hello from our McChesney Park family. It's so fun to be a part of what our entire church is up to this morning with the Beloit campus and the Janesville campus and others. And um, I'm coming to you from this little makeshift studio that we use to broadcast out services to the McChesney Park family. And this is a bizarre time, is it not? Uh, but, but I want to take you into the word and I want to allow for the word to speak into our experience today. Ray and Kellen have done such a great job of teeing this up for me. So my work here is very easy and hopefully very brief. At the end of the Palm Sunday event, as Ray and Kellen have been talking about, it, it suggests that we ought to have this committed faith in Jesus Christ And at the end of the story in Luke chapter 19, at the end of the Palm Sunday event, this one theme really emerges toward the end that is so significant for the moment that we find ourselves in today. And it is this, when we have a committed faith in Christ, we receive a peace that isn't dependent upon the circumstances around us. We receive a peace that really is unshakable so that we could march through whatever's coming down the pipe in the days ahead, and we could still navigate that with confidence and poise and grace. And I want you to have that as well. So as we look at Luke 19, I want to show you three different things very briefly that teach us about this peace. First off, peace is absent. Secondly, peace is present. And finally, peace is available. It's absent in the city, it's present in Jesus Christ, and it is available to you. So peace is absent. The city itself, Jesus goes on this little march. He's riding on the the back of that donkey and he's going toward Jerusalem and everyone's laying down those palm branches and acknowledging who he is and what he's come to do. But then it tells us that he looks at the city and I love how realistic he is because he looks at it and he has this emotional response to it. Look at verses 41 and 42. As he approached the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. He's looking at the city and he's acknowledging that there's an absence of peace there. He's saying, I wish that you knew. He's suggesting I want what's best for this place, but they won't receive it. And he's looking at the brokenness then. And then he describes what's coming to them in verses 43 and 44, because of this rejection of who he is and what he's come to do and the tragedies that are going to unfold in that city itself. So Jesus is able to take an honest assessment and say, this is not how it is supposed to be. Now I want to encourage you Christians, as you interact with the world around us right now, it is totally appropriate for you to weep to look at the brokenness in our world and the devastation of this virus, to think about what's going on right now and to be able to say along with Jesus, if people only knew the peace that were available to them. And in many cases, people are wandering around through this season with that unawareness of who God is and what he's come to do. And there's then this anxiety and fear. And often that can invade our own hearts as we wonder what, this is going to look like down the road and we can wonder who it's going to affect and and all these different things. And I wanna encourage you that it's a it's totally appropriate to weep over the city, just like Jesus did, to weep over the world, just like he did. Our city is sad. And in many cases, our world in this moment is absent of the peace that Jesus came to bring. So the second thing you find here is that peace is present In Jesus himself. Now, Jesus was totally aware of everything that was unfolding. He was aware of uh, what people were going to do to him. He actually told his disciples earlier on, He said, We're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over, and I'm ultimately going to be executed. So he was fully aware of what was unfolding before him. And nonetheless, we find him in this story, and he's not anxious, he's not unclear, he's not fearful. He's emotionally engaged as he's weeping over the city, but at the same time, you find him displaying this gospel confidence, this trust in God, this awareness of what's to come, and this peace about him. And so, the disciples they 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 were recognizing that this person, Jesus, he is the bringer of peace. In fact, as the the um, donkey was marching into the city and Jesus was riding on the back of it. And people were laying down their palm branches before him. The disciples were saying in verse 38, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now they were, they were saying that this person, this Jesus who's riding into the city, we know who he is. And they were speaking even better than they knew in this moment. But they were acknowledging that he is this bringer of peace. He is the king and he has come to rule. And and he is the, the one who's come from heaven, this city of peace. So glory in the highest. They were acknowledging this reality that Jesus himself is the bringer of peace. He's the author of life. He's the king of heaven. And he is the bringer of this peace. So thirdly, the third thing that we find here is that peace is available. Peace is available. It's available because Jesus has come. And by his coming and that work that he did at Calvary, he is extending peace to all who would place their faith in him. In verse 42, he makes it very clear that he's asking a question and he's basically saying, if you only knew, if you only knew this peace that were available to you, and he's suggesting, if you only knew who I am, and what I've come to do, then you would be able to receive this incredible peace. Jesus Himself is our peace. And uh, you know, as believers, we we can look around at the world kind of falling apart around us, but we want to be able to say, we are clinging by faith to Jesus Himself. We're hopeful of, of solutions and answers that might come, but our ultimate source of peace is Jesus Himself. And anything less than Him. Is not ideal. We are holding fast to him. So how do we get it? How do we get this peace that is available to us? Well, at the very end of the passage in front of us in verse 44, Jesus says that the residents of the city did not receive it because they didn't perceive what God was doing. Look at verse 44. He says, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He's saying, you didn't receive what was available to you because the King of glory marched right under your noses and you didn't identify him for who he really is. Jesus is the author of life and he is the King of glory and he is the bringer of peace. And we don't want to miss it. I really do believe that one of the hidden blessings in all of this is the fact that many people are receptive to who Jesus is and what he's done. And he is the one who's come to bring peace. And so I would encourage you to place your faith in him. I would encourage you to trust him. I would encourage you to believe that he could give you the peace that you are looking for. One of the apostles, he would write this way later on, and it was a blessing that he was pronouncing over an entire church. And I want to read this to you, and I want you to prayerfully receive it. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, the apostle Paul says to a church, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So we want to say to you today, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, as you trust in Jesus Christ, the bringer of peace. He goes on to say, so that you may overflow with hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope that you would receive that today by faith that you would cling to the Savior, to the author of life, to the bringer of peace. So let me pray. Lord, we ask right now for everyone who's tuning in online and everyone who will watch later, would you show us how awesome Jesus is that he went to Jerusalem and he went to Calvary and he died in our place and he offers us peace. I pray for everyone that's listening that they would place their trust in him and receive joy and peace. And therefore they would have hope because of him. We pray in his name. Amen.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at Centrewire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.